0: cryptic chronicles a show dedicated to exploring everything weird in this ineffable universe we call home today on the show we're gonna cover another fan request and this one's going to be a two-parter i've mentioned the enochian angels a handful of times and the works of john d and listener ryan vibringer ryan is that your real last name emailed me asking to go into detail on the subject because he didn't really know what i was talking about so here we go Enochian is a term used in pop culture for angelic languages, like in the CW show Supernatural. The word Enochian comes from Enoch, a man who lived before the flood from the from the Bible, the antediluvian world, who could talk to angels with his chronicles in the apocryphal texts of the forbidden scripture known as the Books of Enoch. Dee is said to have been given the language of the angels and talked to them in a manner very different to Enoch, but... The two are intertwined nonetheless. John D is as much hated as he is an everlasting focus of fascination. I ask those with an open mind to take all the information I'm about to relay to you with a grain of salt, as well as those who may be quick to judge to give D a chance. Most of the stuff concerning him in the mainstream is blatant slander or dismissiveness from a mindset cast in materialistic dogma, but you don't have to believe or not believe anything. Because the topics on this show do not necessarily mirror the beliefs of its creators, belief isn't required to enjoy fascinating lore from some pretty weird aspects of our reality. So just unwind, relax, and get ready for some weird information regarding a genius spymaster wizard from the 1500s who encounters demons and apocalyptic angels. My sources are the books John D and the Empire of Angels by Jason Luth. John D. A Biography by Charles Rivers Editors, and The Complete Mystical Records of John D. by Kevin Klein. Check them out and support the authors if you have more interest, but let's get into it, shall we? I'm your host, Tim Hacker, and you're listening to Cryptic Chronicles. John D. is far more influential than would seem at face value. The legendary pop culture 007 codename from the James Bond series is also attributed to him because John D. was also a spy master. He was the right hand of the famous and influential Queen Elizabeth I. He invented the idea of the British Empire and had the most extensive library in England at the time as a personal collection, but he was also a mathematician astronomer, and all-around potent intellectual, with an insane amount of education. All in all, it's no wonder that John Dee was so influential on the world around him. However, there's another side of John Dee. It's a side that's shrouded in mystery, forbidden knowledge, and propaganda. Dee was not only what we would consider a modern scientist, a spymaster, and a personal advisor to the Queen of England, But he was also an alchemist, a cultist, and seeker of the mysteries that made the universe work. And there's no doubt that Dee was one of the foremost scientific geniuses of the 16th century. He changed the fate of the British Isles forever. This is not the Britain that we think of as the all-powerful empire, the mighty culture that dominated the biggest empire during the age of empires. But this was a time when Britain was basically on the verge of defeat. It was not the mighty empire we think of at this point in history. John Dee's era was a time of significant progress, but it was also a time of eternal war. See, only recently, the English church had unceremoniously broken all ties to the Catholic church to become its own thing and free of the old ways of dogma. Catholics across Europe looked towards England with ravenous intent. And the mightiest empires of the era sought its doom. And all this was on the precipice of a time of great enlightenment to come within just a span of a couple of centuries. But his work also led to the genesis of modern science and essentially in many ways he laid the foundation for the world we live in today. But just how could someone so influential not be in the mainstream consciousness you may be wondering? Well, that's because John Dee has been suppressed in mainstream history. This is because of his esoteric work that consumed the latter half of his life. I mean, the herd hates those who go against the narrative. And in those days, dogma was the law of the land. It didn't matter that Dee had a considerable role in making Britain a global imperial power because his name would forever be tainted from his study of magic and how to contact um, strange interdimensional entities that Dee called angels but would later be known as the Enochian Entities or the Enochian Angels. And the most fascinating aspect of these interactions between 1582 and 1589 is that these Enochian Entities were giving knowledge to D for the specific purpose of advancing the world towards the Apocalypse. But if we're going to really cover John Dee, then we have to cover John Dee from the beginning. And in the beginning, he was born on July 13th, 1527, in London, England, and was the only child of Roland and Jane Dee, Jane sometimes going by Johanna. His father was a tailor and a fabric sewer that worked in the court of King Henry VIII, and he also descended from Welsh royalty and thought highly of his lineage. At 15, John Dee entered Cambridge's St. John's College before going on to, at the time, newly formed Trinity College. When he was done, Dee traveled to Europe, studying under the era's most renowned mathematicians, cartographers, and intellectuals. His goal was not to become a master of one subject, but to become a master of all sciences available at the time. And indeed, he was pretty much successful at this from all accounts. And he was highly renowned all across Europe and beyond for his mastery of intellectual pursuits. When he eventually returned to England, Dee amassed an impressive personal collection of scientific tools and knowledge, But also, shortly after returning to England, Dee began studying metaphysics, Kabbalah, hermeticism, alchemy, and astrology. And his early adulthood started off kinda rocky because he was arrested for sorcery after making a horoscope for Queen Mary Tudor, who was officially supposedly detained for trying to kill the queen with magic, which is BS, but he remained in prison in Hampton Court from 1553 to 1555. However, upon release, he was quickly arrested for heresy Luckily, in 1556, Queen Mary decided to give him a full pardon, and there was no burning at the stake business going down. It is believed that he originally cast the horoscope for the future Queen Elizabeth to find out when Mary would die and Elizabeth become queen. And this is probably true because when Elizabeth ascended to the throne three years later, it was Dee who selected the best time for the coronation through astrology and was quickly swiped up into her court to be her personal advisor. And for many years... He was the Queen's right hand, and served in a variety of roles in the government. But despite his political duties, his passion was continually the accumulation of knowledge, and his search for rare and unique books became pretty serious, especially with all of his new connections. His library would grow to be the vastest library in England, like I'd already mentioned, but it was also the second largest in all of Europe, which is quite impressive for one dude. See, with the fall of the Byzantine Empire, specifically Constantinople, that happened not that long ago at this point in history, thanks to the Ottoman Empire, the plethora of lost knowledge and history came with the fling refugees to the west. And this knowledge included a lot of lost occult lore. John Dee lived in the perfect time to absorb and translate these fascinating texts with uh, knowledge lost to Europe since the Dark Ages. And with the invention of the printing press, not only could ordinary people read scripture, but all this lost knowledge could also be mass-produced, especially all the hermetic stuff that people just ate up and loved. However, despite his vast knowledge and education, there were always those who did not care for him or even outright hated him, and he would be plagued with enemies his whole life, specifically just because he sought this higher knowledge. It's one of the reasons why basically all the creeds of the esoteric societies, they have a creed of a secrecy. You only talk about it with other people like you. You never talk about it with the masses, ordinary normies because it usually leads to persecution, hidden enemies, or people profaning and abusing or altering or just doing bad stuff to the sacred knowledge, quote-unquote and this lack of following the creed of secrecy would actually hurt John Dee pretty bad down the line, as you'll hear. And Dee's work in his time, just like in modern times, is incredibly complex and hard to understand, with trying to understand it from our current high-tech worldview being impossible. Since the time he was actually alive and far on past after his death, and throughout all human history since he was around, there have been countless slanderers of John Dee. And if you look him up, you're going to find that most of the information regarding him is subversive towards his legitimacy. But people have always hated what they don't understand and often attack it. Not to mention, throughout human history, establishment powers have attacked truth and hidden knowledge that may go against their ability to maintain power and control. It's what they care about first and foremost. Moreover, people who readily subscribe to mainstream propaganda are the embodiment of naivety in many ways. So let's look at D from a detached view free of judgment. After all, his life was in an era very different than our own and things could not be more different, all things considered. So I'm just gonna do my best not to be biased or try to like, uh portray things as fact or false. I'm gonna mess up here and there, but for the most part, I'm just going to try and relay the information as I see it in these books. Back then, almost all people in Britain were Christian, and John Dee was no different despite his interest in esoterica, which is actually essential to keep in mind throughout his life's story, but especially also concerning his work with the Enochian entities. As such, even Dee was strapped to reality tunnels with foundations made of religious dogma and confirmation bias. And this narrow worldview that he lived in would actually be shaken up pretty bad, including his faith, when conducting the Enochian research. This actually happened many times. But despite him being an occultist, he was still very much like a Christian. He believed in Jesus, God, and all that stuff to his very core. So he was never trying to do anything evil or wacky, satanic, or demonic, or, you know, whatever people like to say. And his era's worldview was consumed in strict hierarchy, not only in social matters, but also in spiritual matters. And a lot of people at the time, including D, subscribed to a cosmic hierarchy as follows. Number one being God, obviously at the top, omnipresent and all powerful. This is also the Trinity, according to the Orthodox. And then there were the angels, which are made of pure spirit, And, though much more powerful than any ordinary human could ever hope to be, not even close to God's power in any way. And these angels, too, have a hierarchy. The seraphim, cherubim, thrones, dominions, virtues, powers, principalities, archangels, and then last, regular angels. Oddly enough, many of these heavenly entities seem more cosmic horror than angels with wings taught in mainstream religion. There's even one kind that's my favorite. It's just like a spinning wheel with a bunch of, or it's actually like a couple spinning wheels with just eyeballs all over them. It's awesome. And next on the hierarchy is humans who are half spirit, half physical and able to commit both physical and spiritual sins in actions, unlike angels. And then last and obviously least is the, all the other living creatures like uh, from animals to plants, to minerals, etc. And for the majority of Dee's research and conversation with these angels, he's going to mostly encounter the bottom tier, the regular angels. And then of course, the stereotypical biblical archangels, as well as many archangels not mentioned in the Bible that are more in Kabbalistic lore. He does come across some weird stuff, but for the most part, it's these two angels that he interacts with. Two types, I mean, on the hierarchy, which is actually kind of confusing. Because I always thought that archangels were at the top, but I guess not, at least according to this stuff. And it was Dee's intense drive to understand the mysteries of reality that led him to want to communicate with angels. And I guess all his endless exploration of the mysteries of esoterica in general. But were these Enochian entities really angels in the way Dee thought angels should be? Well... Not really, but for the most part, it's impossible to look at existence without a cultural filter. These Enochian entities would often get very impatient with D if we're entertaining the paradigm that these tales are true at least, but they tell him things that very much went against what he thought supposed angels should be saying or telling him actions to take. As I already stated, their main urging is to push history forward unnaturally to bring about the apocalypse as soon as possible. If you've ever seen the show Supernatural, this is one of the main agendas for the angels in that show for a while, too, which is not coincidence, but maybe where they got inspired to do it. I don't know. I'm a huge fan of that show, at least until season five. After season five, you can just not watch it anymore and you're not missing anything. Anyway. these. Enochian angels, wanted from D what at least seems at face value to be kind of evil. But is there more to it? With the break of the Catholic Church in Protestantism, there was a strong apocalyptic vibe throughout all Christians in Europe. But Protestantism was not the only adversary to the Catholic rulers because there was also Neoplatonism, Hermeticism, and ideas of liberty and most just kind of felt a strong vibe of change in the air and the Renaissance could not be stopped. All these new ideas drove Dee, and he'd spend the rest of his life delving deep into the mysteries. But just what exactly was Dee's goal? What exactly led him to seek out forbidden ways to make contact with the beyond? Well, if we use a computer as a metaphor for the universe, then he was essentially trying to learn the secrets of the software that made the computer run in a lot of ways. The hermeticists like Dee saw the world pretty much like the movie um, The Matrix, and that there was a whole working reality right behind the veil of the visual reality. I mean, that's putting it pretty crudely, and there's a lot more to it, but as a superficial, simplistic overview, I guess that works just fine. And to people like Dee, if you could understand the software running the computer, you could also change the programming within it to a degree, which I guess you could also call magic. But this isn't the shooting fireballs magic from Dungeons and Dragons and whatnot. No, this was much more subtle and creepy. To D and to Kabbalists, I guess, humanity existed in a fallen state. I'm sure you know about the Garden of Eden story from the Bible. And if you've listened to my Nephilim episodes, you know that the Garden of Eden story in the Bible is actually a copy of a much older version originating from the Sumerian civilization of Mesopotamia, which was ancient before the Hebrews were ever even a player in the ancient world. But I'm getting lost in the woods and I don't want to get off track. My point is just that Dee believed that humans existed in a fallen state, that our potential was much higher, and that we could go back to how we were before as a perfected form of consciousness and spiritual entity. And that's basically his main goal, is to restore or repair humanity to its pre-fall condition, a topic that can be explored in more detail through Kabbalah, something that D was all about. However, these angels that D would encounter would switch up this goal and give him their own agendas for him to pursue. They did, however, promise him the true Kabbalah, and an ability to go back to Eden, which is probably why he continued the work for so long. But for him himself, like he, what he wanted for himself through all of this was he actually wanted apotheosis to become like a straight up spiritual entity of a higher plane or something. Heck, yeah, it's pretty weird. And if John Dee died before going down the rabbit hole before 1580, then he would be a household name today and just as well-known as any of the other greats from history. But fame was never something the man ever cared about because he was on a divine mission, after all. At least to him. And fate would grasp him in 1572. From 1572 to 1583, there was a series of incidents many saw as omens. Two supernovas and a comet, rare astronomical alignments, as well as a massive earthquake in England, had people thinking it was a sign of the end of days. And if... The Day of Judgment was coming, The most likely angel traffic would be increased between mankind and heaven, and obviously, Dee was all over this kind of stuff, and it energized him to explore the hidden nature of reality, more driven than ever, into his occult experiments. And we'll be right back after a quick break to get into the nitty gritty real stuff concerning the Enochian Mysteries. Don't go anywhere, you're listening to Cryptic Chronicles. <laughs> We'll be
1: Do you like food? Do you not like going places? Do you like staying home and having food brought to you? Well, you're in luck, because a thing called Blue Apron exists. With multiple pricing, there's a way to get the gourmet delicious meals under any budget. And it's totally worth it. Cryptic Chronicles would not promote Blue Apron unless it knew how good it is for you. With all the junk and everything these days, the majority of people sustain themselves on poison and don't even know it. A healthy spirit, mind, and body requires a healthy lifestyle. And the ability to take care of yourself and feed your body all the nutrients it needs to function at its best in our highly demanding lives you get to choose your own meals the chef designed recipes include balanced mediterranean delicacies quick one pan dinners and top rated customer favorites Unpack your home delivered box with enthusiasm because there's a guarantee on freshness and the highest quality of all Blue Apron products and ingredients. Create magic following our step-by-step instructions, you'll experience the magic of cooking recipes that the master Blue Apron chefs created with your family's tastes in mind. With step-by-step instructions, so you never miss a beat and have to get frustrated about making the meal. I know I do that. At least, when I'm not eating a delicious Blue Apron meal that is. Responsibly sourced, quality ingredients like fresh produce, sustainable seafood and exclusive spice blends means you're going to have a meal that's stopped here over the common fast food garbage most people eat. And Blue Apron cares about the environment, which is another reason I love them so much. With recyclable ice packs and packaging to ensure your ingredients stay fresh until you're home and ready and easily disposable for the health of Mother Earth. Do yourself a favor, and take care of your body and mind the way nature intended it, with a healthy meal that's also gloriously delicious. With Blue Apron the yummy goodness is dropped off right to your very doorstep. So if you like food, and you like not going places, then why not try Blue Apron, and give your mind a rest from going to crowded grocery stores, and writing a list of stuff to get, only to forget half.
0: Despite Dee's insane level of occult knowledge, he actually couldn't pull off any of the fancy stuff he read about. Many tried to label Dee as a wizard conjurer of spirits and a fortune teller and things like that, but he didn't have any occult or spiritual abilities at all, to which he himself was very open in saying. For example, he didn't have anything like an awakened third eye or anything analogous to that. And this is where a lot of slanderers of him come into play. Because D felt the need to resort to hiring scryers to assist him in his mission. Scryers are basically magic people, FYI. They can do all the spirit stuff. Like, uh, you know, like fortune tellers and the like. The only problem is 90% of psychics are frauds. Back then, just like they are today. That's if you're inclined to believe such things. I've experienced too much intuition, and seeing intuition in others, that doesn't make sense to just throw it out. But the first guy that D hired did indeed seem like a con man, who later admitted to making stuff up to D. And to this day, people will vehemently say John D's work and the Enochian mysteries in general are all fraud bullshit. It's true that John D was a genius and one of the most educated people who ever lived, but lacked street smartness. However, We are talking about someone that danced around being tortured and burned at the stake constantly in Queen Elizabeth's Court of Vipers. Think of Game of Thrones or any such cutthroat world, and de-existed there in court continuously in danger from all sides, even from his allies. So he was anything but naive, and since he could thrive in basically the most dangerous environment possible... It's idiotic one-dimensional thinking to say that street con men tricked him and one-dimensional thinking is a sign of an ignorant mind. Though he may have been deceived at one point, he was still learning how things worked and what to look for and whatnot. We gotta remember that failure is the greatest teacher, and success is far more dangerous than failure can ever be. And there are many other pieces of evidence to suggest Enochian would be impossible to make up, but I'll get into that in a bit. It took Dee going through a couple of scriers to get to his main guy. In March 1582, Dee met a man named Edward Talbot, who would forever be associated with Dee from that point on historically concerning the Enochian Mysteries. Later, the man would admit that Talbot was not his real name. His real name was Edward Kelly, with Kelly being the main scryer that would lead to the discovery of the Enochian entities. Kelly was highly educated without a doubt and possibly studied at Oxford, though his past is shrouded in mystery. But the most distinct aspect of this young man in his mid-twenties was the fact that he was missing both of his ears. Which sounds bizarre, but this was actually a common punishment for fraud in those times. Specifically, Kelly was punished for forging coins. Something the elite and royalty looked down on in particular. This is another fact that people point out saying that the Enochian stuff is all BS because the dude was missing his ears for frauding, But it wasn't for frauding in the situation like they're talking about. He wasn't caught for frauding, being a, you know, like a fake spiritualist. It was something completely different. It was money he was frauding. But at the same time, there's no doubt that he was a shady character. The guy was surrounded in dark rumors and slander. Like, uh, people said that he was a necromancer and that he summoned, like, demons and stuff. All that kind of stuff. There's even evidence that he was on the run and in hiding, which explains why he worked for D so long as a scryer. Because despite what a lot of people say who like to slander this stuff, Kelly hated scrying to contact the Enochian entities and found it detestable and greatly sapping him of energy and health. From first-hand accounts, to diaries, to the diary of John Dee himself, Kelly was not into the Enochian workings, and tried to get Dee to quit many times, but since he was most likely in hiding, this explains why he stuck around Dee for so long, even though he hated what Dee forced him to do. People who say it was all Kelly frauding Dee and taking advantage of him leave out all the evidence that it was actually quite the opposite going on. It was Dee taking advantage of Kelly, who kept him metaphorically imprisoned with little pay and nowhere to go, and in a constant state of being on the edge of psychological breakdown. There's also evidence that the Enochian language given to Dee and Kelly by the angels was a legit self-contained and functioning language that's incredibly complex and unique to the point that there was no other language like it, with the fact that Kelly was not a linguist adding to the credibility. Though it appears when you look at it from somebody educated in linguistics, it appears that it's like half consistent with known languages on a core level and connected to them in some ways, but it's also half just unknown and it's totally its own unique thing and coming out of nowhere with, with nothing to reference it while still at the same time being a perfectly functioning language. Which makes sense because there's some who say that this was the language that was spoken before the Tower of Babel. Which was a time that everybody pretty much spoke the same language on Earth and then all of a sudden they couldn't understand each other and all had to split up and go their own ways because they all spoke different languages all of a sudden. There's also people who think that this is a metaphor just for an evolutionary advance in consciousness. But I'm not going to confuse you. In any case, the language is very probable to have a connection to all languages, in a way. And that makes sense if it was the original first language, or the language from the Garden of Eden, as is claimed. Also, the way it was given, how everything Kelly did went down. He'd have to have a better photographic memory than Batman to be able to fluidly speak Enochian both backward and forward, without making any mistakes under the scrutinizing genius-intellectual gaze of John Dee. The mathematical and linguistic complexity was far beyond Kelly's intellectual capacity, and he was in altered states of consciousness exploring the unconscious, or in a state where visionary aspects could generate like... being on hallucinogens or something. So there's a lot to make an open-minded person raise their eyebrow. Now, were these angels that they were talking to? Well, that's not quite cut and dry clear. Concerning what we've gone over in past episodes about the subconscious and associated topics, there's a lot of wiggle room here, but for the sake of narrative, let's look at it from their view as much as possible. In any case, Kelly had the mojo that Dee needed, and it's pretty obvious he didn't care about Kelly's shady nature as long as he could get the job done with the two not long after conducting instant success at contacting entities beyond the veil of our reality and the start of the angelic conversations. And just to clarify, I say angelic conversations because Dean and Kelly actually never used the term Enochian. That was a later title given to their work much, much later down the line. Also, you should keep in mind and remember, the Enochian language given to Dean and Kelly has never been taken seriously outside of occult circles. As it should be. Many commenters closer to the times of the two wrote that they had indeed contacted entities, but they were not angels. A common narrative from these people is that Kelly had tricked Dee, and the entities were actually demons. Or some others, like uh, Paul Foster, I think his name is, saying that the Enochian conversations were both angels and demons. Lying demons pretending to be angels is a common theme in Christianity, after all. And many occultists who have written on the topic over the the centuries are surprised that the Enochian rituals have authentic and powerful results, but are inherently extremely dangerous. We have to keep in mind the work of people like John Keel, Carl Jung, and countless others who have dedicated their lives to exploring the unknown, and how, in altered states, our subconscious can generate unconscious entities to manifest through cultural filters. If you remember back when I was talking about Nephilim stuff, I mentioned Michael Sarion and his opinion on these entities. Michael Sarion said that these entities were interdimensional entities, but they were not angels and not necessarily good. But defined good. And if you think about the archetypes from Carl Jung and his work, there's a very cosmic horror type nature to these beings that live inside the unconscious. And we're kind of just playthings to them. They're alien, indifferent, and all-powerful. While at the same time, being unescapable. And I really need to talk about Carl Jung sometimes. I love that stuff. But, um, where was I? Was there really any objective nature to these angelic conversations? Was there any objective nature to these these entities that they were talking to? The entities seen on psychedelics are an excellent example, in that they appear different depending on the culture of the individual. People have had life-changing experiences on psychedelics, especially stuff with, like, uh, like um, ayahuasca. And they've encountered crazy, realistic entities that, like, give them epiphanies and change the way they see the world. But these entities that are seen on psychedelics appear different depending on where somebody is from. So were these angels really angels? Did they really have some objective nature? Or were they manifesting in a way that Dee and Kelly could comprehend? Could they have just been archetypes of the collective unconscious? Or is it possible that they assumed and documented the entities based on their own worldview, and not necessarily what was really going down? I don't know. That's if you assume there's any truth here. But it's absolutely a fascinating topic. And there is no right or wrong answer here. The universe is not rational. But I could really go on like this forever. I don't, I think I've been blabbing a little bit. So let's keep moving forward. After all, Kelly could have just been crazy. The rituals conducted in preparation to contact the angels aren't necessary to go into detail about. You can assume it consisted of triangles, circles, and all kinds of other weird stuff, but their primary tool to contact the entities was a scrying crystal, or a black mirror. Kelly would receive visions and mumbled out what was going on as best as he could while Dee vigilantly recorded everything. Dee would often tell Kelly what he wanted him to ask, and where the interaction should go. For the most part, the experiences were limited to the crystal ball or black mirror, but not always, On rare occasions, they were very visible to both Kelly and Dee. Dee also documented them appearing in his mind's eye, or Kelly's, or even manifesting as an apparition in the house itself. In one account, an angel calling itself Medimi appeared and ran about Dee's home, seemingly playing hide and seek with the two. Another time, a group of elementals attacked Kelly and almost broke his arm, leaving marks where they assaulted him. At times, they'd be communicating with something only for an interruption to occur of another entity claiming to be a real angel and that the one that they were talking to was actually a demon tricking them. On occasions, one of the super weird cosmic horror angels would show up. So there was a variety to what they experienced during the Enochian research. Dee documented all of the appearances of these angels astutely because he thought that they all had hidden symbolism in their appearance and a whole bunch of weird stuff constantly went down during the entirety of the angelic communications, including at one point, a damn earthquake. During all this time, Dee kept up with his normal duties, and if I didn't mention it, I don't think I did, Dee was a family man, and his house was busy with activity servants, children, and his wife, of course, who hated Edward Kelly to the bone, by the way but during all this time, he was still taking care of business and in contact with the outside world and still doing court politics. However, Dee did make a series of mistakes in that concerning the outside world. He broke the hermetic code of secrecy concerning his work and spilled the beans to people he probably should not have. Uh, Breaking secrecy concerning hermeticism isn't cool and could have led to some later misfortune. The whole process that the angels were requesting of... Kelly and Dee was pretty expensive, and at times Dee and Kelly would ask for material gain to aid them in their efforts, to which the angels scoffed at and could be translated as insulting. At one point, they asked the archangel Uriel for gold, to which it responded it would absolutely not do that for them. However, it is fascinating that the angels did not support any Christian denomination, which Kelly and Dee found confusing to an extent, because they were so Christian, obviously. But the angels did acknowledge things like the corruption of the Catholic Church, while still not demonizing it or anything like that, or any um, other spiritual belief for that matter, they wouldn't demonize. The angels were also quick to smash any sign of ego from the two, and were pretty wrathful and demanding. At times, not always. The way that they interacted with Dee basically seemed like they were in, um... They considered them… like semi-intelligent apes. They demanded constant purification, and would be angry at any human smell of the body, and demanded more and more faith and obedience as time went on. They really did not like the way humans smell, but they hated pride even more than that, and they'd often state that everything in the physical world was an illusion. So the whole experience very quickly kind of flipped the entire worldview that Dean Kelly had, completely upside down. There were many episodes of misfortune that happened to Kelly and Dee, and when they asked the angels what was up with that, they just told the two that they were removing their causes for sin, which is actually an interesting theme concerning angelic magic according to esoteric lore. For example, somebody summoning an angel and asking them to heal them, Only then to wind up in prison for 10 years. And when released, coming back to the angel and being like, dude, what the F? And the angel saying, what? You asked me to heal you. I healed you. So, yeah, it's a real story I read. But, I mean, after all, like, every prophet in history of the Abrahamic religions pretty much suffers horribly, if you think about it. Like, every single one of these prophets have, uh, they don't have an easy life and suffer greatly. And when Dee and Kelly encountered demonic entities that haunted them and brought horror upon them, even then, the Enochian entities said they directed the event as a necessity for their growth. Which, uh, I don't know, it sounds pretty iffy to me. Pretty dark. Don't really know what to think about that. I guess completely overcoming fear is important, but I can also see how that would just straight up drive a lot of people nuts. However, the most famous thing to come from Dee's conversation with the angels is the Enochian language, as I've already briefly mentioned. This language was given slowly over time by the angels, and like I said, the entities claimed that it was the original language, the language that was spoken in the Garden of Eden. But it's also important to remember that these angels never conformed to any established dogma, be it Hebrew, Christian, Islamic, etc. They did show an interest in uniting all of the religions into one, or just like a universal global religion, but despite this, it does share some similarities with Hebrew to a small degree, especially in how Hebrew is read and written from right to left, but it has similarities with all the root languages. The Aethers are probably the most famous of the scripts told to the two, to which many secret societies would absorb down the centuries into their own esoteric rituals such as the Golden Dawn. But the interesting thing is D was ordered to use the aethers and call them out regularly to assist the angels in bringing about the apocalypse to straight up end the world. Which doesn't sound very angelic in a dogmatic fashion, does it? (laughs) But I'm pretty sure that, um, or I'll leave that for later. I want to be cryptic. Uh, I'll just give you a hint. The apocalypse they're talking about isn't necessarily the apocalypse in the way we would think of it. Like, it's not the the end-of-the-world apocalypse from the Book of Revelation that's so famous. Sadly, though, for a long time, the only access to the Aethers was the version made by the secret society known as the Golden Dawn. And actually not the original versions or even the original whole complete versions of the con- Like, in any any original context. Because there was actually a lot more found after the Golden Dawn fell apart. These diaries were hidden everywhere. These secret books were hidden everywhere, and a lot's come to surface since the 1800s. Interestingly enough, there was much more to Enochian that was found later, in a much more complete fashion. Oddly enough, too, this also goes for the famous Abramelin ritual that the Golden Dawn is famous for, you used to contact your own personal angel, which uh, they, also, this, they also had an incomplete version of, they call it the Holy Guardian Angel, but it's also like the Higher Self, or the Genius, or... The daemon, there's many words for it depending on the culture, but you get the drift. I mean, if you're a Christian, you're probably just going to say it's a demon or something. So, views on the subject differ vastly depending on one's personal own polarization. But according to Dee's polarization, these angels were very much very real, and throughout the angelic conversations, one of the foremost angels that the two men talked to was Uriel. The entity revealed that... Many esoteric mysteries were taught to Adam in the Garden of Eden, including genuine grimoires and the true Kabbalah. Basically, in every tradition, including ones outside of the Abrahamic religions, there's the exoteric teaching for the masses, and then there are the esoteric teachings for the chosen few, such as Sufi in Islam, the Gnostics in Christianity, the Kabbalists in Judaism. So, The stuff Dee and Kelly were going over and the knowledge they were utilizing was not mainstream. Not even in the slightest, or even out in the open. Other than to specific types of scholars and men, usually of a higher status, but with the coming of the printing press, there was a lot more access to it than it would be otherwise at any other time in history. Hence, many mistook these things for evil. Back then as they do now, Dogma is extremely useful for controlling large groups of the population, and it's a double-edged sword that cuts both ways. Uriel isn't even in the Bible after all, for example, unless you include the coded stuff in the Psalms and, you know, the Kabbalistic texts most Christians don't even know exists. But, um, Uriel is actually an incredibly important entity, at least according to esoteric Christians and Kabbalists. And we noticed too that this Uriel is the same Uriel from the book of Enoch, one of the apocryphal texts. And that's where Enochian gets its name Enoch. If you want more explanation of what happened to Enoch and whatnot, then go check out the Nephilim episodes. Probably just like the first two, I think, or whatever, all of them. Can hurt. But it's interesting to note that Uriel was the archangel that interacted with enoch the most he's the one who gave him you know like a. he was a guide throughout all of the heavenly realms to show enoch into like different dimensions or planes of existence or the spiritual world whatever you want to call it so it seems like uriel is one of the main people that interacts between humans and the divine in this case i'm not sure if dean kelly did have any access to the books of enoch though because after all, like, we only have our really complete, most full version after the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. Well, that's not entirely true, actually. I mean, there's the Ethiopian church, but, I mean, they also could have had some secret knowledge somewhere, who knows. But they did know who all of these secret angels were, especially Uriel. We'll be right back after a quick break. You're listening to Cryptic Chronicles.
2: there, thanks for listening to Cryptic Chronicles. The show is sponsored by Blueberry, and if you're interested in starting your own podcast, use our link. We'll even give your podcast a shout out. Go to crypticchroniclespodcast.com and click on the Blueberry link on the homepage. By doing so, you'll be helping the show. Blueberry is optimized for iTunes as well as all podcast hubs. You won't have to worry about expensive contracts or fees. In fact, you won't have to leave your own website. You'll have your own RSS feed and no third-party sites try it for a month free try by going through cryptic free. chronicles through cryptic chronicles also if you're a fan of cryptic content please support the show on patreon by giving just one dollar a month you can really assist us in posting more content frequently you'll also have access to bonus ad-free episodes of the show and the discord channel and the discord channel to keep up with all cryptic chronicles content follow us on twitter instagram tumblr and of course facebook give the facebook page a like and join the cryptic chronicles group We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for supporting the show. But most of all, thanks for listening. listening.
0: When these Enochian entities told Dee and Kelly that there were evil spirits after them because of what they were doing, Dee asked for help and protection. And just like I mentioned before, basically every time the entities told them that they have to make the efforts themselves, and only then could they be given any level of assistance. Plus, it was part of a test to help them grow spiritually and overcome fear, I guess. In any of the books, it doesn't really go too much into detail, but this seems kind of weird to me. I mean, like, don't people say you can just pray for protection and stuff? And with this focus on the humans doing stuff themselves and only then getting some degree of help, the angels were also pretty hardcore in tasks that they set out for the two, despite how impractical a lot of it was. Especially monetarily. Like, at one point, the archangel Michael was pissed D hadn't created a bunch of super expensive stuff he'd asked him to make. And he was like, come on, man, I, I don't have infinite money. I got a family. And Michael didn't care about the finances of D or any finances of mortals or any plight that might entail concerning it, while at the same time refusing to help them out monetarily in any way. So John D's basically dealing with demonic haunting, his funds ever depleting more and more because of what the angels were requesting. And also, he was pretty much a monk at this point, doing all of the ritual praying and fasting and purification and all the stuff that the Enochian conjurations required. So stuff was really becoming taxing at this point. A lot of the sessions seemed to be geared around educating the two men and the instructions were incredibly complex to the point that if you take time to look at the charts and stuff, it will make your head hurt. A plethora of secret angels were revealed to them in all of their correspondences throughout the universe. But they hit some speed bumps when the Archangel Michael ordered Kelly to abandon the world and get married. And this was a speed bump because Kelly did not want to get married. And his lifestyle also could not sustain a marriage pretty much. He was uh, just a live-in servant of these who by many accounts was on the run. But the angel would not back down. This led Kelly to begin discrediting the angels and saying that they were not really angelic and just spirits, just elementals or this or that and not really of divine origin. He refused to interact with them for some time and wouldn't do any more of the Enochian workings with Dee. He even began to refuse to pray, which was heresy. At least to D, So to say that Dee was not happy would be an understatement. But Kelly didn't want to be kicked out on the streets. So eventually he began to reluctantly and begrudgingly give in to the idea. And he did indeed get married to a woman that he never liked and loathed the rest of their time together. And he was basically only married on paper, quote unquote. This was all basically just to save his job because he didn't have any other interest in any esoteric exploration that Kelly had to offer however they did eventually get back to work and reconcile to a degree to which then they'd begin the hardest Enopian work they'd done so far with something called the Logeth. during a ritual summoning Uriel told the two that the current age was the last age and that a new world would begin soon after this goes in line with certain powerful spirits governing epochs of history and cycles And a new world doesn't necessarily mean the destruction of the old and could also be a metaphor for a paradigm shift but it essentially means that the ways of the old world will end the ideas the ideologies the systems at work and at play which did kind of become true to a degree with the rise of liberty people no longer being property of the elite and the noble families that are pretty universally corrupt not all but the majority of them but Uriel told the two that well especially D I mean not really Kelly he was just there to be a conduit but Uriel told D that he was to be a powerful influence in this new world to come which I guess you could translate into the change into the Enlightenment era Forms of feudalism have always been present throughout humanity's cycles of history, but there's also these periods of enlightenment and growth. If you look throughout history, there's many dark ages, there's many apocalypses, there's many new enlightenment eras, there's new eras of progress. It's a pretty weird, chaotic game. But according to this narrative, there's a method to the madness. But not long after, Kelly had to travel to London and Manchester and while he was gone, John Dee suffered horrific night terrors, more so than he had before. It often revolved around him being dead and having his bowels removed and people coming to burn his beloved library while he was gone. These dreams would later turn out to be somewhat prophetic, and Dee had been warned demonic entities would come to test him in ways he had yet to experience. No prophet could not know suffering, after all. If one was born rich, they'd lose all their wealth. If one was born perfectly healthy, they'd know disease, etc. But despite things not really being what Dee signed up for, he never stopped or slowed down in his investigation and pursuit seeking knowledge through these angelic conversations. However, like many who get involved in the higher learnings of the veil clouding reality, Dee could have never have anticipated the sacrifices that he'd have to make. When Kelly returned, the two got right back to work. And it was at this point that the Logath really would really start to come into play. They were to be given the angelic language itself, to which in modern times, like I've said, is called Enochian. But to Dee and Kelly, it was the divine language or the angelic language, the heavenly language. The Enochian entities commanded the two to learn the letters and language by heart, and it was pretty crazy. So learning to understand it without any referencing was not easy. Another cool thing to note is, I mean, since you're just listening to me, you can't see it, but the Enochian language itself, like the letters, they look pretty cool from an artistic perspective. Like they're definitely something that you could get tattered on yourself and people would be like, that's awesome. However, the more they worked, the more disgruntled Kelly got. He was still pretty pissed off that he was forced to marry and was getting overwhelmed by all the visions he was forced to channel. This bad attitude steadily increased until, according to Dee, a sword was thrust out of the scrying stone at Kelly's head, and Kelly freaked out as you do when such things happen. He instantly began complaining quite frantically that something was squirming around in his brain. This experience convinced Kelly to continue their sessions with Dee with less complaint. However, Kelly was not keeping up with the memorization demands of the angels and would get more and more fully possessed during these sessions. It seemed to the point that he'd perform actions concerning things he could have no way of knowing. He'd feel a burning sensation in his brain and, uh, you know, after a visionary, he'd see like a burst of fire come from the scrying stone into his eyes and then he was possessed and much of the back and forth was now done purely in the enochian language to which kelly had not fully memorized but d had and d spoke it fluently to d during these times of possession it was just business as usual because i guess that they were getting pretty used to weird stuff when it was over the fire left his eyes back to the stone Kelly didn't understand any of what had been transmitted, and was kind of uh, immensely unstable. Kelly wasn't having a good time. An angel, referring to itself as me, then revealed more secrets concerning the angelic language seemingly written in human blood. Which sounds pretty metal. When it was all painstakingly finished, they were told that these were the 49 calls used by God to create the universe. However, this is not the 49 calls or aethers later utilized by the Golden Dawn because these calls remain untranslated and ineffable even to the present day. So they spent all that time putting together something no one understands essentially, which I guess makes sense. Maybe if someone does speak it with understanding and fully translate it, the apocalypse will happen? In any case, seems kind of like a bum deal. But shortly after the 49 calls, Uriel came back like he always did and warned them that bad stuff was going to happen within five months and that they had to speed up their sessions. The two were to be enhanced with magical sight to transcribe the Logeth. And Uriel threatened Kelly that if he did not work every single day, then he'd be erased from the number of the Blessed, which I think was him threatening that he'd send him to hell or something, or not be able to get into heaven or not be a chosen one, who knows? In any case, it really messed with Kelly, so they got to work. During this hectic time, four random entities manifested that looked like laborers carrying shovels, who then assaulted Kelly despite these attempts to banish them. Kelly's sanity was becoming dangerously frayed at this point, but just a few days later, after the assault, they were back at it, receiving the transmission of the Logeth. But Kelly was getting paranoid and kind of freaked out and accused John Dee of keeping him there as a prisoner and threatened to leave and find employment elsewhere. And Dee and Kelly began to consistently bicker with one another, the stress getting to both men. Once again, Kelly wanted to be done with it all. In Dee's journal, he states Kelly wanted to, quote, utterly discredit the whole process of our actions as to be done by evil and eluding spirits, seeking his destruction," end quote. Dee blamed Kelly's woes on himself and his lack of faith, and that it was his doubt that was causing all their issues, which probably didn't help. But by this point, Dee's wife was completely done with Kelly, and wanted nothing to do with him. So it seems like a pretty toxic environment overall, though she'd always hated Kelly, but now it was just more overt. The angels' patience with the two men seemed to be fraying as well, to which it would uh, degrade more and more from this point on, and the angels themselves got more antagonistic towards them in calling them out for their lower natures and lack of faith. They did continue though, and Kelly returned to faith and piety like he always did shortly after his little freakouts, and with all the experience that they'd obtained so far in these workings. There was less and less deception from demons and lower spirits and more just straight-up transference of divine knowledge. But after Kelly discovering writings, he did not have any memory of writing. Dee was told it was a forgery from a demon named Belmegal, to which Dee himself shortly after felt doubt because he was told that the demon seeks their destruction. He documented these doubts in writings, called his, quote, articles of doubts. The two men then summoned Uriel, being told temptation and struggle are necessary to forge them into what was required to complete the Logeth. Uriel then openly questioned rhetorically why humans should ever be given the holy key of the Logeth in the first place, which contains the illumination of the mysteries and is far beyond the small minds of mortals. Why should semi-intelligent primates destined to decay be given knowledge beyond their comprehension? This rudeness from Uriel might have been meant to help, but it didn't. Despite all that, though, Dee found peace in his faith, and Kelly continued to slowly go crazy. The two completed the work on time, though. The Lieber Logeth was finally done. Uriel said that through it, the true religion would be reconstructed free from falsehood. An effort was circulated for a time, then cometh the end. And then Dee and Kelly were instructed to gather dirt from all the places of the earth. When Dee said he didn't have the funds for such an expedition, he was then told that specific locations all over Britain could fill in instead. And when Dee asked that these pieces of dirt be brought to them, Uriel got really angry. The most they'd seen and was completely terrifying. D was rebuked and told that he'd be punished, which utterly crushed D emotionally. But eventually, after a bunch of ritual praying and other religious acts, a shining being came before them and said that he was forgiven, or they were forgiven, but also threatened them, saying, Behold, my arms are longer than my body, and if you fail, I shall stretch them out upon you. Which is pretty creepy. He was glad that he was forgiven, though. However, the punishment was still incoming and it highly affected him. This interaction caused D to fall into a depression, and he begged God for mercy and constantly prayed, promising that he'd be better. Kelly had gone out to get all the samples of Earth throughout Britain, and when he returned, they continued their work, and three angels showed up. Michael, Raphael, and Uriel. And they told Kelly and D that, yeah, they were forgiven, and that continuing the work could progress. D then oddly asked about the King of Poland, and... Who would secede him? The House of Austria or the Polish Counts vying for power? It's easy to forget that D was a spymaster. Much like uh, when they asked about the validity of other religions, you know, not of the Protestant Christianity variety, the angels would not denounce or promote one over the other, instead remaining mute on the topic altogether. Just basically brushing it aside. Uriel did say that the world was filthy and offensive to us. It's a charmer. Dee was then given a warning that he would have to leave England to prepare for the Apocalypse. But Dee couldn't just, uh, you know, say that he couldn't afford it because the Angels got mad when he did stuff like that, especially just after sending Kelly all over Britain to collect dirt. But the Angels had already warned Dee that Sorrow was coming, hence why they had to speed up the work to complete the Logeth. But despite what Dee could or could not afford, or what he wanted or did not want, his life was about to get pretty messy. But that is a story for next time. That's all for today's episode make sure you listen to part two on the enochian mysteries of john d coming out soon the podcast has really picked up some steam and i gotta say thank you all so much for your support i've really enjoyed the messages you've been sending me so keep it up and means a lot to me cryptic chronicles is available on itunes spotify podbean stitcher google podcasts and basically all podcast hubs you look for us and we're there if you can Make sure you like and comment or review wherever you hear this content. With your assistance in doing this, we can get the attention of the algorithm gods. And let's look over some comments or reviews or whatever. Uh, on episode 55, Zozo, the Ouija demon, Cheryl Henderson says, He's the one you never speak of. Yep, you're right, Cheryl. Knowing of him and researching him and thinking about him makes him aware of you and draws the entity's attention. Good luck. On episode 48, The Nephilim Part 8, Zachariah Sitchin, Ayan Gaming says, There are some serious people out there who follow the Anunnaki Sitchin stuff like a religion. Yes, I know that. I have ran into them many times. They don't really like it when you question it, but I mean, there's no reason not to. I many who just get really wrapped up in all that stuff to each their own though I and mean, whatever on the YouTube video, The Devil's Tree City Muesese says who takes a cursed tree to curse their friends WTF LMAO he's talking about how if anyone takes a piece of the tree according to the legend, they can um, curse other people with it, or even themselves because it's like a, it causes a a curse like bad luck, and I don't know man, I've had some pretty shitty friends in my life and if they could even be called friends, but people do weird stuff, who knows. Never underestimate the weird stuff that other people will do, especially if you're not looking. Please review, comment, share, like, it all helps, whatever format you're listening to or whatever. By pleasing the gods of the algorithm, you are doing more than your part and support. And if you really, really like Cryptic Chronicles and you happen to be awesome, then support the show on Patreon. For just a dollar, you can unlock full uncensored shows with no ads or anything like that. You'll get access to some exclusive podcast episodes. And depending on the pledge, you can even do other awesome stuff like join the Discord channel or just help, you know, um, help in future contents of the show or help vote and decide or what we're going to do next. Just go to CrypticChronicles.com and at the top, Click on the Chronicler's Vault. It's a link to Patreon, so you'd be good to go. It really means a lot to me, and thank you. Or you could just go to Patreon slash Cryptic Chronicles, and you'll find it there too. And speaking of awesome, I'd like to thank my current patrons: M J Calvo, Adrian, John, Celestial Weavers, Alien X, Lorna Grubb, Paul, Linda Gonzalez, Angela Delaire, Ashley, Brad Herbert, Lawrence Lee patricia coles and our newest kayla nice to meet you kayla so yeah thank you for supporting cryptic chronicles but most of all thanks for listening and as one of the most epic philosophers who till this day frees people of mind slavery once said follow no one trust yourself